on week number two of Right Side Up. How many of you are here last week for Right Side Up? Yeah. So we're starting this series around the idea that we feel like we're living in a world that is upside down. And I wanna submit to you today that we are living in a world that is upside down. We're upside down in our thinking, we're upside down in our decision making. I said last week, it's like we're upside down in the schoolhouse, upside down in, our, in the courthouse, upside down in the White House, and upside down in our house. And God give, has given us, through his word, the instruction to live a life that is right side up. We talked last week about according to the word of God, there are four different areas or arenas mentioned that we need to align with the word of God and put under his kingdom rule or there will just be, there'll be chaos. That these four separate areas that the Bible or the Bible teaches about, that if we live separate from him, it produces a life and a world of chaos. So let's look at them together. We see at the top, we see government. The next one we see church, the next one we see family, and lastly we see individual. Now we discussed last week the, the temptation in culture is to think that we experience change, a world that's upside down to be right side up again from the top down. But we learned that as kingdom people and according to the Bible, if you wanna turn a world that's upside down, right side up, you gotta start from the bottom and work your way up. So we started last week with the individual. We talked last week about when Jesus said to come unto me, and then he said, come after me. We talked about how if you want your life right side up again, first and foremost, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then we talked about then you need to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to continue to follow him. In other words, I'll say it like this. We talked about how Jesus gave his life for us, and then we need to give our life to Jesus Christ. That makes sense, everybody? So we're working our way up that list today, and we're talking about being in the kingdom of God and how does the kingdom of God work. Let me take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What Paul is saying in the book of Colossians is that the moment you and I come to Jesus Christ, what happens is we're moved from the kingdom of darkness and into a new kingdom, the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. So that now that we are Christians, according to the word of God, we need to live a life that is in the kingdom, meaning that we adopt the ideas of the kingdom. Means that we believe the kingdom. That means we behave with the kingdom in mind. It means we make decisions with the kingdom in mind. Are you still with me? So we talked about last week that when you are a Christian, you're not just in church, you're in the kingdom. When you're in the church, you're, you're not just attending a church, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in the 
kingdom. And we talked about last week how the Bible teaches to seek first the kingdom. In other words, our allegiance is not of this world. We live in this world, but we are not of this world. So, so, so we talked about that, that we are kingdom first, not Republican first. Yeah, that went about as good as it did last week. Let's try it again. That, that we aren't Democrat first, we're Republican first. No, no. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. That's not right. Some of you are like, that's right, preacher. Let me start that again. Let me we are kingdom first. Say amen, somebody. You know what I meant. Someone's like, out of the abundance of the heart. We are kingdom first. John chapter 18, Jesus said, John chapter 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus is declaring to us, that if we are in the kingdom, if we're aligning our lives with his principles and his word and his rule, that we will not be congruent with the world culture. The more we seek after him, the more we're in his word, the more we're following after him, the more in alignment we become with Christ and his word, the more out of alignment we become with this culture. Does that make sense? And so as we're working our way up the ladder today, we started with individual last week, we're moving up one more to family, to family. And today, I wanna, I'm gonna go somewhere if I were honest with you, two or three times I almost switched the sermon this week because I think what I'm gonna preach on today could cause some misunderstanding. In fact, if you're committed to misunderstanding me, you will. And I want to just, I, I really almost didn't preach what I'm gonna preach today because I think this is such a touchy topic. In fact, I think it's one of the most confusing topics in the church and in our culture. And I thought, Pastor Ethan, you need to leave this. I call myself Pastor Ethan in my own head. The, <laughs> you need to, Brother Boggs, you need to leave this for somebody else. But it kept stirring in my heart, stirring in my heart, and I really feel like that I'm supposed to deliver what I'm gonna share today. So I want you to stay with me. Uh, if you're taking notes, the first point is this. The family is God's idea. The family is the first institution established by God that would serve as the foundation and the well-being of society and civilization. When the family is broken, society becomes unstable. When we talk about that, that, that picture of the family, the individual, the family, the church, and the, the civil government role, we talked last week about if you're a strong individual, you'll have a strong family. And if we don't have a strong family, we don't have a strong society. When the family structure breaks, chaos comes into our cities, our civil structures, our schools, our government. And now listen, I think you know this, historically speaking, societies begin to devolve when the family begins to dissolve. Broken homes, here's what's interesting and what's difficult. Broken homes produce broken lives. And broken lives produce broken homes. And broken homes 
produce broken lives. And broken lives produce broken homes. So you can see the perpetual dysfunction when the family is out of order, when the family is broken. And if I think if we were to talk to everybody today, some of your greatest sources of pain in your life is family. You love your family, somebody clapped. Your family, you love your family, you thank God for your family, but they are a source of pain in your life. And I believe with all of my heart, the enemy is after the family. In fact, when you look in the beginning of scriptures, in Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, and Genesis chapter three, when you see that God creates Adam and Eve and he unites them, watch this, chapter three, the enemy shows up. We don't have any biblical reference to the devil until the family is formulated. Once the family comes together, that's when the enemy comes in to fight. So he wants a dysfunctional family. He wants broken homes because he knows if you break down families, you can break down society. And so what we think, I think we need to understand is, is if you're taking notes, write this down, very important. This is kind of what we're gonna build off today. The family prospers under God's design. That God has a design. So when the family is broken, when something is malfunctioning, the first thing we need to do is go to the manufacturer, figure out what does the instructions, what do the people who made it say to do with it. If family was God's idea, God has a plan and a purpose and a design for it to function in a particular way. Are you still with me? So a few months ago, my wife and I, bought this puzzle for my son. This is a, a, it's called a giant floor puzzle. And in it, we have giant states, like we have Texas, we have, uh, we have Michigan, we have some Michigan. Any Texas people come to our church? Okay, okay. Relax, relax. We have Georgia. Okay. I know who wasn't, you know who that wasn't? An Ole Miss fan, okay, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Relax, people. California? Yeah, God saved you and brought you here. Look at that. Okay, now, listen. <laughs> so, so God, so God gives us a picture of the family. Let's just go with this. When you're putting a puzzle together, you got a picture of, 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 of the thing you're trying to put together. The word of God gives us a picture of the family. What does, how does it work? How do the pieces go together? And so I wanna take some time and I wanna talk about the pieces of the family, okay? And I'm gonna go to a very, complicated verse. And I almost didn't do this today, but I thought, you know what? I'm not one to run from complicated topics. I'm not one to be scared to preach it. In fact, those are the funnest ones to preach. But like I said, I want you to listen with a set of ears that you have not had before. Okay, I want you to erase your preconceived ideas of what I'm about to read. Ephesians chapter five, this is the picture of the family. Verse 21, 
and further submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay, all right, I just wanted to watch. I just, oh my, we're getting nowhere. Lena, can you start the car? We gotta go. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. You didn't amen that time. Okay, now, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. He is the savior of his body, the church. Now, I want you to listen. I think there have been a lot of abuses because of a few of those lines in that text. People have used this verse, especially men, just listen close, to manipulate their wives and ultimately protect their abuses with scripture. My wife and I have met with women who have clearly been victimized by someone who either was trained wrong in this verse or was victimized by an insecure person who could only feel confident when he exerted power. And so I want you to listen for a few moments. Let's talk through this verse together. And I believe that this verse, where some of you are wondering why it's in the Bible, and you wish it wasn't in the Bible, I think by the time we get to the end of this message today, you're gonna thank God that it's in the Bible. Now, a lot of people, if you can, put the verse back up for me, verse 21. A lot of people know verse 22 that talks about women submit to a man, but nobody ever talks about verse 21 right above it. Let's read it. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I want you to listen to me. Culturally, when this was written in ancient times, men had legal jurisdiction over women. In first century, men had no obligation to women. Women had obligation to men. At that time, if a man was married to a woman and wanted to disregard her, he would come in to the city square with her and only say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. The woman didn't have that right, but the man did. And so as a result, they were oftentimes neglected, abused, mistreated. In fact, Romans and Greeks of that time would take their own babies, if they were girls, and put them in ditches, put them in the woods, leave them on the street. At the time of this writing, the epidemic of the mistreatment of women was so severe that women had no status, had no voice. They were viewed as commodities. That's how women were viewed during this time. That is until Christians showed up. I wanna encourage you to go home and research what I'm gonna tell you. Some of you may not believe it. Some of you have never heard this. When Christians showed up, Jesus comes to earth and he begins to teach, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as, your, they have never heard that because they were suppressing the opposite sex. So when Jesus says to love your neighbor, I'm sure they're like, now I get that, but do we love, he's like, yes, yes. As you would yourself. So this teaching that Jesus is sharing, is, is there, it's mind-bending to their culture. So you want us 
to value women. In fact, they came to Jesus in that time. If you read it, they said, listen, is it lawful to divorce women? And it was in that context of, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Jesus said, what God has put together, let no man cut asunder. What Jesus was teaching them is that they're not animals. We value them, we treat them well, we love them, they're, they're, they're to be loved as you love yourself. This is mind-blowing to the first century believers, first century culture. And when the Christians who, after Jesus ascended, were growing in number day by day by day, history shows that those first century Christians were going, hear this, going and grabbing those little babies that were in ditches, left in the woods, left in the roads, and Christian men and women were raising those babies, those baby girls, all over that culture, all over that society. And there are quotes saying how angry the Roman Empire was at the Christian movement. Hear me, because of their value of women. It wasn't even the Christ, it wasn't the Messiah concept, it was how, they, how well they were treating women bothered those oppressive men at the time. We look in early church history, the writings show that women flocked to Jesus gatherings in homes. In fact, Rodney Stark, a, a writer says, he estimates that perhaps two thirds of the Christian community during the second century was made up of women. My point is that an early century believing church, when church began, we were not oppressing women. We were valuing women. When you look at that culture in that time, when you were seeing what was happening, they were having a new idea, it was a brand new thought. They were equating men and women as equals. They've never seen that before. So they were worked up and like confused. And so when Paul writes this, he says, you need to understand, we, re we submit one to each other as equals. We love one another as equals. So, so how many of you know that in a marriage, it don't take 50-50, it takes 100 and 100. We're equals, we're in this together. Everybody can track with that. That's probably not the problem with the verse we're talking about. It's the next verse that's the brain bender. If you've read the Bible, we just read it. Let's go back to it, verse 21. And further, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. For, for generations, literally, there's nothing before Christ that signifies the value of women. Keep that in mind. When women are now valued, he says, keep in mind, we now submit one to another as equals, then in verse 22, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wait a minute. You just said submit to one another. Now you're telling us to submit to him? I don't think so. Verse 23, for a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Now, this is what this verse is explaining, and I want you to stay with me. We're talking about the family today, right side up. We're talking about function. Watch this. Men and women are equal in value, but different in function. Me and my wife 
are equal in value, but we're different in function, biologically different, mentally different, emotionally different, and they're different, and we are different so we can become one. Are you with me? It's like the story of the man who went to the hospital to get a new brain. The brain surgeon said to him uh, that uh, you can get a woman's brain for 5,000, you can get a man's brain for 25,000. He said, why is a woman's brain 5,000? He said, because it's, it's all women's brains are used. Okay, Pastor Tommy gave me that joke. Let's keep moving. All right. This is the layout. He's saying, wives submit to your husbands, husbands submit to Christ. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, men think that being the head is a blank check to command a woman to do or to not to do whatever they want. And if they don't do it, they're rebellious and unsubmissive. Side note, any man that quotes this verse to control his wife or family, any man who manipulates their wives and guilting them into not submitting are probably guilty of not submitting to Christ themselves. Close, this is listen close statement. What this is speaking of is not a chain of command, but of responsibility. What we are seeing in this verse, what we're gonna continue to see, is that the man, according to scripture, is firstly responsible to being the spiritual leader. Notice my language, I didn't say solely responsible. Firstly responsible. Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam, Here's from God, don't eat of the tree, subdue the land, take dominion, all of that. Watch what happens. Eve comes along, she has a conversation with the devil, a serpent, he convinces her that if she eats this tree, does this stuff, we know the story, she eats of the tree, she hands it over to Adam, Adam says, okay, takes a bite. <laughs> After they messed up, you know what the Bible says? They heard God coming, and they hid, and God said, Adam, where are you? And then when they begin to tell what happened, God talks to Adam. It's not because the woman is less in value or inferior. It's because he told Adam to subdue and take dominion. Eve wasn't even there when God gave those instructions. And the Bible says that when Eve ate the fruit, Adam was standing right there. I've heard it said before that the first sin in humanity was not a woman eating fruit or being disobedient or a man being disobedient. It was the man being passive. God gave the word to him to subdue, and he watched a serpent sneak in and, and deceive his family. He was firstly responsible for being the spiritual leader. The problem is that many men want leadership but don't want responsibility. Now stay with me, we're going through the verse, Ephesians 5.25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Time out. Any man that can read these verses and get happy, clearly doesn't fully understand the gravity of it. It is not saying, let me say it like this. This verse implies that men 
are not the chief leader as much as they are the chief servant. Men gave them, he said, you got to do what I did for you. You got to give your life. The scripture doesn't mean that you exist to have your needs met because you are the head. It means that you exist to meet their needs. Oh, I love it. I like the slow claps. It's just like, yes. When you're the spiritual head of the family, it's not about bossing people around. You're the greatest servant of the house because that's what Jesus was. Jesus never forced his lordship on anybody. And if we're following the pattern of Jesus, we don't force our responsibility on anybody. We walk in the role that God called us to walk into. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift to new, of new life. Are these verses con conflicting? It's not conflicting. Because listen to me, in the kingdom, women are not oppressed, second-class citizens. They are valuable, loved, important, and play a very important role role. Oh yeah, you guys are so fun today. Here we go. This text, listen, read thoroughly and correctly, this text is not oppressing women. This text is challenging men. This text is really encouraging men to cover their wives and to walk in the role to be a spiritual leader of their family. It, it looks like this. It's saying men take some steps to get in, to be firstly responsible for the spiritual culture of your home. And it's saying as a result, women, step aside. Now that you're equal, now that you would be tempted to be like, hey, listen, this is what, no, no. You take your valuable self, and you look at him and you submit and say, you lead us as the spiritual head of our home. What that means is, ladies, encourage your husband to be the leader. You know, a lot of men, a lot of men will, will let the women lead in this particular area, talking about spirituality, because women love to journal, they love to cry, they pray, they got all these Bible translations, they got bookmarkers, they're just like, and they got like small groups and they, and they cry to other women about the Bible. Men on the other hand are like, bruh. If you got me to church on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., that's about as good as it's gonna get. <laughs> but let me encourage you fellas, don't be afraid to pray in front of your kids. Don't be afraid to grab your wife's hand and pray. Don't, don't be afraid to, if you don't know it, to Google a verse and say, you know what, I know the Bible says something about this, and when your wife's feeling like she's under, under a lot of pressure, you can pull up a scripture and say, this is, what the, this is what the Bible says, and I'm just trying to encourage you, walk in that role, walk in that role, and then, women, I wanna encourage you, let him. Don't laugh at him when he tries to read the Bible. Men can't read. Read. 
Don't laugh at him when he prays with the kids. Don't demean him. Give him a chance. Let, it, let him do it. And let me pause here. I don't think I have to do as much convincing right now because I'm fairly certain if there's a woman in here that's tried to raise a kids without a, a present husband, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to try to, try to run a home without a present man or maybe he's there but he ain't there. I'm just trying to help you understand that, that, that fathers, we have a massive role to be the spiritual leaders of our home. I've used this statistic before, but I want you to hear it again. If a father does not go to church, and even if his wife does, 18% of the kids will be future church attendees. If the father attends, but the mother doesn't, 66% of the kids will be future attendees. This is secular statistics. I don't think the Bible is contradicting and old and barbaric. I think it's just validating how culture works. One writer says that a woman's word with their kids can weigh 10 pounds and a man's words can weigh 20,000. It's just the way it works. I didn't write it. It's just validating what we're all experiencing in our lives. Listen to this. 40% of children today are being raised in fatherless homes. 72% in the African-American community. 63% of suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. Do you see the weight that Paul is trying to say? Listen, listen, he didn't have the internet to Google these stats, but he's saying, listen, guys, step into your spot and take responsibility and lead the family. Let him see you worship. Let him see you cry. Let him see you repent. Let him hear you say you're sorry. One of my favorite things I've heard about this particular topic was a man named Vody Bachman. He shared four things that I want to share with the guys to make this as practical as I can. Four things that help you be that spiritual leader of your home. Number one, he says you need to be the priest. This is where you pray. This is where you represent your people to God. This is where you, you don't have to be elaborate. This is where you say your family's names to God. You talk to God about your children. You pray. You care for them. I got to give a shout out to a gentleman in our church James Henry, that not long ago we were out in somewhere and we were at an event and his kids were with him and I walked past him and he was praying with his kids. Just a good, if you know James, he's a business owner, got a beard, looks like he's half asleep half the time you're talking to him. He's always wore out, he works a lot of hours, he's a good man, but let me tell you something, he prayed with his kids. He's just showing a sign of, of this, I'm responsible for them to sense the, the magnitude of God in their life. He says, you gotta be, gotta be the priest. You can't be a perfect father, but you can be a praying father. The next one, you need to be the prophet. The prophet, this is when you, this is when you represent God to your family. This is where you speak up. This is where you say things. This is where you encourage. This is where you speak life. This is where you share the word of God. This is where you are controlling the atmosphere. If we like it or not, men, you are the thermostat of your house. And we control it by being the prophet. We speak life or we speak death. Another one he says, provider. Now, by the way, if you are single in this room, this list is a great checklist to be looking for. A provider, not necessarily the provider, but needs to have a work ethic. 
Timothy talked about to provide for those in our, or excuse me, Paul told Timothy that we need to provide for those in our home. Lastly, he says we need to be a protector. Protector. That we are going to be protecting our family, whether it be physically, spiritually, emotionally, and even with technology. That that's your right to stand between that serpent and your family. That is your, listen to me, man. I'm just telling you, I'm not getting on to you. I ain't spanking you today. But I just wanna encourage you. I want you to hear me right, that we have a right to stand right between what the enemy's intentions are and say, you know what? As for me and my house, Now let me say this, and I'm gonna to come to a close. Listen, every person in this room has a different story. Every person in this room has a different situation. And there are a lot of good single moms in our church that you're raising those kids the best you can. And you may not have a man in your house. And you hear those stats and it scares you. But can I tell you, we're gonna pray that your family, number one, will be the exception. That ain't gonna be your story, amen? And number two, we're gonna pray God brings you man for Christmas. God will stick him right under the tree. Right under the tree, head full of hair, bank full of money. Just stick them under there, Lord. God, do a quick work. Do it by Thanksgiving. Let them meet mom next week. I don't care. If you're a single mom in our church, I want to stop here. If you're a family in need even, if you come to our church, we would love to help you. If you need help for Christmas time, I know we're joking and laughing, but I want you to know something. We're family here, and we don't want you to... We don't want you to raise, some of us are so blessed, right? Some of us are so blessed and we wanna make sure that if you're in our church, you attend our church, you know somebody comes to our church, we want you to take some time and we have a QR code that's going up and I want you to take a picture of that. You can go even to the, uh, the guest services area. If you need help, listen, you wanna help somebody or you wanna nominate a family. So you can donate funds to help somebody for Christmas, or you can just even yourself say, hey, my family needs help. And listen, if you're a single mom, you're not an embarrassment to our church. You're not a stain to this community. We love you, we're glad you're here. Not all of us pick our situations. We're praying for you, we wanna help you. Don't be embarrassed to ask for help, all right? Now don't be asking your third cousin from the Delta saying, hey, Pastor Reason's giving away free money. And just all you gotta do is say you come to the church. No, we will look you up, okay? <laughs> if you don't have family, where are your family? Amen. Ephesians chapter six, it goes on. Ephesians chapter six, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do, reading right in sequence. Honor your father and mother. This is the right commandment with the promise. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. We understand this, that children are under the influence of parents. As you live with them, you are not equal to them. Parents are biblically there to train their children. And let me pause here, and nobody else. It ain't the government's job. Our kids don't belong to the church. Kids don't belong to the government. That is our form of government that the church excuse me, that the government and other places cannot violate. Those are our children. I want you to understand something. When we talk about this puzzle, circle right back. I want you to understand a couple of things. That we all have a piece that makes this puzzle work right under God's design. Can I tell you something? When we bought this puzzle, is this not the truth, Lena? We put it all out, laid it on the floor. We put every piece together 
this is so crazy, we took the wrapping off this box and we laid every piece out and we got all the way to the end and we could not find New Hampshire. We flipped couches, we flipped, we threatened kids. Because at that point, when you're that close, you're like, come on, dude, where is New Hampshire? Let me tell you something. If you don't fill your piece and do your spot, it's like it's, it's upside down. Here's Scott and saying, where's New Hampshire? Things are upside down in my family. You, you don't want people looking in there, you don't want your wife saying, listen, I, can I tell you something? I've sat with women in our church with my wife who has said, we would love to tithe, but my husband. We would love to serve, but my husband. And can I tell you something, men? I'm not mad at you. I just want you to know that ain't right. If your family's hungry for God, don't suppress it. Don't hold your kids back. Women, I want you to just know God put you in this place. You're not inferior. Don't walk like, oh, I'm a failure and nobody notices me. No, no, no. In the kingdom, you're valuable. The Bible says they're neither Jew nor Greek, I think. Almost messed that verse up. It says there's neither male nor female. In other words, we're not living in that time where women are to be second-class people. Find your place. Walk in confidence. And know God designed you to be who you are. We are responsible for our family together. We, we love our family. We do this together. And children, the Bible says we honor our parents for this is right. It doesn't say they are right. For this is right. Meaning the principle of honor matters because of the position and not if they were always correct. You honor because that's who God put in your life and the Bible says it will go well with you and you will have a long life. Will you stand with us all over the room? I just wanna pray over families. I wanna pray over your family. Look at, me, look at me real quickly. I want you to know something. Family is worth fighting for. And God has a picture in mind for your family. Right now, the picture don't look ideal, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some broken pieces. I'm sure there's some things that are messed up. I'm sure there's some grief you're dealing with. I'm sure there's some of you that feel like this is going on and it can't get stable and you can't find a job and, 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 and. But can I tell you today, God wants to help your family. God wants to bless your family. God wants to heal your family. So can we do something all over the room? Let's just close our eyes. I wanna pray a blessing over you and your family today and believe that God is gonna help you right where you are. That God is gonna bring the picture that is in his word. That God's gonna bring the blessing on your family. God is gonna begin to start a new legacy with you. Some of you come from such dysfunctional homes, such dysfunctional situations that I've come to tell you today, you're not gonna produce that with your kids. That ain't gonna be your story. Your daddy may have been on drugs, but your kids ain't gonna be on drugs. Your family may have been in prison, but your kids ain't gonna be in prison. Why? Because God is using you to change the trajectory of your family, to get a picture the way, the way God designed it to be. So Father, I pray over every man, woman, boy, and girl, every family member, every individual. I pray, oh, I, I, I pray the blessing of God. We, we plead the blood over every single home. We, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead and to guide. 
We pray that you take the broken pieces and, and make them well and, and you begin to heal the broken heart and you, you begin to settle the brokenness. And we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus that you bring peace that passes understanding. We pray that generational curses that are running through the family line are going to stop when they run into them. I pray in the name of Jesus that things are going to change. I pray for single moms in our church that you're going to bring them the right mate, the right individual. I pray for single people that you're going to bring the right man or the right woman into their life, that you're going to begin a strong family. And I pray, God, we're going to take responsibility. We're going to walk confidently and we're going to live honorably in Jesus name come on if you believe it today put your hands together give God a big praise at this time our prayer team is coming up they're going to join me in the front after service if you want prayer I want you to make your way down here whatever it may be but here's what I want you to do before you leave before you leave if you don't know Jesus last week 35 people gave their lives to Christ isn't that amazing 35 people with eyes closed one more time. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, can I tell you your life's upside down? You need him to stabilize you, bring you, forgive you of your sins, give you a purpose for living, give you a friendship, give you everlasting life and a home in heaven. If that's you and you've been running from God, maybe you're like the puzzle piece. You got everything together, but it feels like you're missing New Hampshire. You feel like you're just missing peace. You're, you're missing that, inter that internal joy. If you're in this place today and you don't know Christ or you've walked away from him, do me a favor. Right where you are, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to raise that hand to heaven. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I'm going to bring you down, but I want you to be bold and say, you know what? I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Are you ready? One, two, three. Come on, raise them up. Raise them up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, church. Put your hands together. Give God a big praise. People saying yes to Jesus today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, dear God, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me a new creature. I believe that you died, and I believe that you rose again. I surrender my life once and for all. In Jesus' name, if you believe it today, put your hands together. Give God, come on, welcome to the kingdom. I said, welcome to the kingdom. If you need prayer today, our team is available. If you're one of the people that raised your hand, please come down. We got some material for you we want to give you to help you along your journey with Christ. And we just pray over to you today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine down upon you and give you perfect peace. We bless you today, church. You can give on your way out. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.